0: This church. Hopefully you all are doing well. Can y'all hear me? Okay, good. I'd like to thank each and every one of you for uh, the gifts and words of encouragement that you showed our family during uh, Pastor Appreciation Month. Thank you so much for that. We are um, grateful for you, and, and I'm very uh, grateful to be able to serve you as your pastor, to be able to serve at this church. It's a great honor to do that. And so thank you so much for the ways that you love us and pray for us, and I'm very thankful for that. So please continue to pray for us because we're always in need of your prayers. Um, one of the things I believe is if, if you're praising your pastor, you ain't praying for him. Some of you know what that means. If you're too busy looking up at me, you ain't praying for me. So I'd rather you pray for me than praise me because when you if you're praising me, you set me up. Don't set me up. Pray for me and me and my family. So thank you again for loving us well. If you have your Bible, please open it to 1 John uh, chapter 5. We will be focusing on verses 2 through 5, but I'll definitely read uh, verses 1 through 5, but we will focus on verses 2 through 5 this morning. 1 John chapter 5. Do you have a faith? What are your thoughts about that question? Odd, confusing, not clear, doesn't make sense you don't understand it. Questions about faith are important questions. Why? Because every person in the world has a faith, has faith in something or someone. Even people who are in denial about faith have faith. Faith comes from a Latin word that means trust, belief, and reliance. All people trust in someone and something. They have beliefs that that govern their lives and people and places and things that they rely on and lean on. So faith resides in all people. It's either good faith or bad faith. And the source of one's faith determines the quality and worth of that faith. See, if the source is bad, the faith is bad. If the source is good, the faith is good. The Christian has a good faith because of Jesus Christ. That's an amen statement. Because of who Jesus is, that's why we have good faith. He's the founder and the perfecter. He's the content, the source, the foundation, the cornerstone. He's the solid rock that all believers stand on. All other grounds are what? Sinking sand. Because of who Jesus is, Christians can shout boldly, can say yes to the question, do you have a faith? And they can confidently give detailed answers to other people about their faith. That's what this current series is about. Preparing you to be able to give detailed answers about your faith to other people. That's what 1 John 5 is helping us to do. We talked about the three details last week, last Sunday. I'm pretty sure you remember those. We we, we have a faith that, that comes after new birth. We have a faith that continues to believe that Jesus is the Christ. And we have a faith that continues to love God and other people. Now this morning we're going to talk about two more details in verses 2 through 5. That is Christians have a faith that obeys and Christians have a faith That overcomes. Here is God's word to his beloved sons and daughters. Beginning in verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. For whoever has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that has over, who overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus Christ is the son of God. This is God's perfect, inerrant word. Please pray with and for me. Holy Spirit, as I often pray, I, I pray again, not because it's just something I pray, but because I need it. And that is for your spirit, for you to move. For you to move in and through the preaching of the word, that you will cast my desire for, for man's praise and repetition, not repetition, but reputation and glory aside, so that Jesus can be lifted up, not me. Can't lift up Jesus and myself at the same time. So I pray that he would be lifted up. He would be what the people here see today, not me. So I pray that you take these words and apply it to my heart and apply it to the heart, hearts of everyone that's here today because each of us need Jesus. Okay, how good we got it? Okay, what we have going on in our life, we can never say, I need less of Christ. We can never say that. So, so Holy Spirit, move in and through this time for our benefit, but for Jesus' glory. It's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen. All Christians have the capacity to love God and other Christians because of the Holy Spirit. And loving God and and loving others, believers are connected together. And that's what one believer says. says. He says, it is as impossible to love the children of God without loving God as it is to love God without loving his children. A family relationship unites the two loves. And this author also wrote, love for God has a second inescapable consequence, namely obedience. See, Christians have a faith that obeys. But do you believe it? Do you reject it? Look at verses 2 and 3. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God. That we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. Now, certain emotions arise in certain Christians whenever they hear the concepts obey, keep, and commandments together in the same verse. The heart rates go up, you cringe, the floodgates of concern and suspicion open, and that little voice begins to whisper to you, see? Pastor is getting ready to place you under the law. He's getting ready to preach legalism. He's getting ready to add to the gospel. He's getting ready to place a burden on your shoulders. If that's you this morning, then please know that's not what I'm going to do. You please tell that little voice to take a seat and keep quiet. Then there's other believers who leap for joy. Whenever they come across terms like obey and keep and commandments, they love being told what to do and what not to do. They pride themselves on their obedience, their performance, and their productivity. If that is you this morning, please tell Mr. Legalism to get to stepping. He has no place here, no voice here. And there's a founding group who just totally write off obedience, keep, and commandments. They're just anti it's freedom in Christ on steroids. No limits, no boundaries, no restrictions. To live, to free to live and do whatever they want to do because they're under grace, not the law. If that's you this morning, take off your Freedom Friday shirt for a moment and just hear me out. So wherever you are, if, if, if one of these three descriptions represent you, hear me out. Please don't tune me out today. See, John, in this chapter, in this whole book, he's talking to people who are already believers. He's not talking to unbelievers. He's writing to the church, people who are already saved. And he's not telling his readers how one becomes a Christian. He's not telling them how the new birth happens. He's showing them what the new birth does in believers. It does something in us. If you know Jesus, if he's your Lord and Savior, then that the new birth that you have in him does something in you. It does something. New birth gives believers a faith that obeys. That's what it gives us. And obedience is not a prerequisite for new birth. Please know that. If you're going to take notes, please take these notes so you don't leave here and misquote me later. Obedience does not make you acceptable to God. Obedience does not make you right with God. It doesn't save you. It doesn't earn you favor with him. Okay? And your obedience is not why God loves you. So don't turn obedience into an idol that you worship. Don't do that. Obedience to God is an expression of our love for him. Okay? Our love for him. It's an expression of our faith, an expression of sonship and daughtership. It is an expression of new birth. See, only people who are born of God, born again, and have new birth can stand before him without shame and guilt. Do you believe that? Only Christians can live in freedom unto God. Only Christians can live for God without condemnation. Do you believe that? These are amen statements, people. Come on now. Freedom in Christ gives believers the freedom to love God and to obey God. Do you believe that? Freedom to live within the restrictions and boundaries he sets for us as sons and daughters. Think about that. Do you believe God sets boundaries on us? If you are a parent, do you set boundaries for your kids? Do your kids, can they do whatever they want to do without boundaries? If you have no boundaries around your kids, you don't love them. You don't love them. We have boundaries from God because he loves us. If he didn't love us, he would not set boundaries. Please know that. All Christians have been given a new heart. We have been given a heart that doesn't have to be forced to love God and to obey God. Do you believe that? A new heart and a new heart that finds pleasure in loving him and obeying him. Only Christians have that type of heart. The non-believer does not have that heart, but Christians do. That's what the new birth has given you. You can't give that to yourself. That's what happened inside of you once the spirit regenerated your heart. It has changed your desires. It changed what you love. And you have that living inside of you. You now love the things of God. Because before you knew him, you didn't love those things. The reason why you love them now is because of your new heart. Because you have been born again. Because of your new birth. One Christian says, theologian says, the new life imparted to believers, imparted to the members of the family of God, carries with it a desire to do his will and a new power to carry it out. Think about that, what that quote is saying. He's given us a new desire, but he's also given us the power to carry it out, and that is through the Holy Spirit. That is through the Holy Spirit. So everyone born of God now has a desire to love him. And to do what pleases him. Unbelievers don't have that desire. They do not. But believers do. A desire to love and trust him. A desire to love him. A desire to obey him. Psalm 119 says, verse 47 says, For I find my delight in your commandments, which I love. What do you think about that? Do you love him? Do you love them? Psalm 48 says, I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. Can unbelievers say such a thing? Really? Can they say that and really believe that? You see, if you could reverse engineer the human heart, this is for all my engineers, if you can reverse engineer the human heart, the heart of a child of God, You know, what you will find there, despite its weaknesses, you will find a desire to live a life that pleases the Father. That's what you should find there. If we can reverse engineer the heart of a child of God, there will be a desire there to love God and to live for God. That will be there. That's what that desire will be there, because we are His sons and daughters. But do you believe it, or do you feel His commandments are burdens? Be honest with yourself. When you read commandments in the Bible, or when you read the Ten Commandments, or when you read the red letters of Jesus, do you feel those things are a burden to you? Or do you delight in those things? Believers living in an orphan spirit will feel like God's commandments are a heavy burden on their shoulders. Believers who use his commandments to earn his love will grow to see them as oppressive. But believers who know their worth, who know their sonship and their daughtership, agree, will agree with John when he says, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. That is either true or a lie. John is either telling the truth or he's lying to our face. Why aren't his commandments burdensome? Because God is a good, good father. That's why. See, I didn't have to raise a sign for that. Hey. Your view of who God is in your life dictates how you approach and review his commandments in your life. Who is he? Who is he? If you feel that his commands are burdensome, then there's some understanding you have about him that's totally off base. Totally off base. It is. Beloved of God, your heavenly father is not like a father at his son's Little League game, a Little League baseball game. And you may know some of these dads, the type of father who always shakes his head in disapproval every time his son strikes out. He yells from the stand, just hit the ball, son. Keep your head up, son. Focus, son. And every time the son swings the bat and and he fails to make contact, he, he looks up into the stands at his dad. And what does he see on his dad's face? A look of disapproval, a look of disappointment, shaking his head because his son has failed to make contact with the ball. His son has struck out again. Now, how do you think that son interprets that look from his dad? My dad is not proud of me because I'm a failure at baseball. My dad is disappointed in me because I'm not meeting his expectations. My dad is embarrassed by me. I have to be a good baseball player in order for my father to smile upon me. For such a kid... Little League baseball isn't fun. It's a burden because it's a reminder that his father doesn't love him. Like this kid, we're not good at keeping God's commandments. We don't trust and depend upon him perfectly. We don't love him perfectly. We strike out a lot. but he never shakes his head at us. He's not, he's not yelling for heaven. Get it together! He's not yelling at you from heaven, not shaking his head from you from heaven. He's not. You see, our obedience and our disobedience doesn't add or subtract for how God sees you. Okay, our father will not always approve of what we do, but he will always love who we are. We are his, his treasured possession, his people, his sons and his daughters. You have to believe that. So when you're out and living life and on this baseball field and you strike out, please know the father still loves you. He's still with you. He's not hating on you from heaven, not yelling at you from heaven. But if you believe that that's what God does, then you are living a miserable Christian life. Because your view of a God is a God who is a dictator and who doesn't really love you. That's not our God. That's not your Father. Do you believe that? One Christian says, it is the will of an all-wise, all-loving Father who seeks our highest welfare. Do you believe he seeks your highest welfare despite your circumstances, despite what you're going through? Do you believe that? I hope so, Christian. I hope so. I hope so. Christians have a faith that that, that obeys the Heavenly Father, for he's a good father who seeks our highest welfare. So we have a faith that walks in that. Can you walk in that? And one of the things that I think that will help you is that as, as those who are already sons and daughters, when you read and think about God's commandments and his word, see that as his fatherly counsel to you. Fatherly counsel. Anytime you come across his commandments or law, that is his fatherly counsel to you because he loves you. Because he loves you. That changes the way you see the word when you when you approach it as a son and daughter. Not someone who just works in his house. You're not the help. You're not a help. You're a son and daughter, the king of the universe. And that means something. And and his word is his fatherly counsel to you. Did you receive his counsel? Sometimes you will, sometimes you won't. But that's why there's grace. Not grace to do what you want to do. Grace because you can't always do what you want to do. Because those who have a heart for God, we know we don't always live that out. We know we always fall short. And that's why we have grace. Because we can get back up again. Nothing in all creation can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Your disobedience can't. The world can't. And you got to believe that for yourself, not just in your mind but in your heart. Because if it never gets to your heart, it's just theoretical. You have to get into your heart before it lives, before it makes its way into your life. This stuff is either true or it's not. It's either true or not. It's true, and I hope you believe that. Second, Christians have a faith that overcomes. A faith that overcomes. A faith that obeys, and a faith that overcomes. Now, to overcome implies there is an opponent that you're facing something that's in opposition against you. In 1 John, the opponent and the opposition is the world. And what does John mean by the world? It is sin for humanity that's in opposition to our God and his ways. It's worldliness, it's the fall. Everyone and everything and every system that opposes God will in return oppose those who are born of him. Every system, every person, and everything that opposes our God will in return oppose those who are born of him. You need to believe that but people who are born in him can overcome. Christians have a faith that can overcome the world, and we overcome the world in two ways. First, there's a, there a past overcoming for all believers. Look at verse 4b. It says, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. This is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. John is pointing to a, a definite act that has already happened, all Christians have a faith that has already obtained victory over the world. Think about that. Feel that. John can confidently make this statement because of Jesus, because of who Christ is. In the Gospel of John, chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus tells his disciples, I have said these things to you, that it mean you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulations, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Do you see what John is doing here? Jesus has overcome the world, and Christians have overcome the world through their faith. People who are born of God are in union with Christ, which means we share in his victory. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. We share in his victory. When two teams meet in a championship game, like Georgia and Alabama would meet soon in, in Atlanta, all these teams go into this game with expectation of winning, whether it's the Super Bowl, the World Series, the NBA Finals, the College Championship. Each team goes into these games with expectation to expectation to to win. So each team already will have hats and shirts already printed, stating them as the champion, pre pre-made items that state them as the champion, even before the champion is even crowned. And so both teams go in expecting them to win, but you know. Only one team is going to win that game, and only one team is going to wear those hats. They wear these items when the game is over, not before. They wear them once victory is secured, not before. And for the Christians, those of us who have faith in Jesus, those of us who are born of God, we have championship gear as well, hats and shirts as well. And Do you know what's printed on those items? The victory is ours. The victory will be ours, and you can wear them now. You can wear them now. You don't have to wait that Jesus descend from glory. Well, let me pull out my shirt now. Put on my hat now. You wear it now. You know what it is? It is your faith, beloved. That's your victory. That is your victory. Because we share in Jesus' victory through our faith. His victory is our victory. His victory over the evil one is our victory. His victory over sin is our victory. His victory over death is our victory. His victory over the world is our victory. And This is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Do you see your faith as victorious? And do you wear it? Daily, day in and day out, I have a victorious faith. It's not weakness. It's not feeble-minded. It's not pie in the sky. Your faith is victorious because of who Jesus is. And you can wear it with pride, with confidence. Christians have a faith that has overcome the world. And this is true because of who Jesus is, because of what he does. He is the founder and perfecter of our faith the content, the source, the foundation, the cornerstone, the solid rock on which all believers stand. And if you're not standing on Jesus, then you're standing on sinking sand. If you're not trusting in Jesus, you're standing on sinking sand. If you're trusting in your own performance and your goodness and and who you are, you're standing on sinking sand. If you're trusting in human beings, then you're standing in sinking sand. If you're trusting in governments, then you're sinking. If you're trusting in political parties, you're sinking. If you're trusting in celebrity pastors and leaders, you're sinking. Okay? You're sinking. There's only one solid rock, and his name is Jesus. Only one. We'll always be only one. And you have to be in him in order to stand on him. And being in him means you have surrendered your life to him. You bow down to him in worship, not idols. You bow down to him and say, Jesus, save me. Jesus, you fix it. You're my God. You're my king. And I bow down before you. All you gotta do is come to him, confess, repent, surrender to him. And once you do that, you will have a faith that overcomes. His thing. you don't make the faith that overcomes. Okay? Do you know that, right? You're not the reason that it overcomes. Your goodness and your performance is not the reason that it overcomes. It overcomes because of who Jesus is. Period. So it doesn't matter if you think you got weak faith or strong faith. All that matters is do you know Jesus? It's never about you. It's who he is for you. Because he's a good source, your faith is good. Because we're going to go like this. This is our life. But Jesus is always high. He's always He's always on his game. Always. And we're not. Thank God he's always on his game. And that's who we lean on. It's his record, not ours. Christians have a faith that has overcome in the past and they have a faith that overcomes in the present. In the present. This Present overcoming is the second way that believers overcome the world. And overcoming isn't just something that's in the past. Believers can experience overcoming in their present life, in the here and now. For everyone that has been born and God overcomes the world. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the son of God? Believers live in a world that has power to influence and tempt them to rebel against the Heavenly Father. Every person, every movement that sounds Christian and talks Christian, ain't Christian. Do I need to say that again? I will. Every person and every movement that sounds Christian and talks Christian, isn't Christian. American culture can tempt and influence believers to trust in her and not God. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? She tempts us to put our faith in what I call the unholy trinity of the American dream. You know what that is? Power, privilege, prosperity. And for some of us, that's really our God. That's the unholy trinity of the American dream, and many of us bow down and worship it. Power, privilege, prosperity. And John says, do not love the world or things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride and possessions, is not from the Father, but is from the world. I ain't getting any more amens now. And no more amens. Wow. Okay. Don't believe in the lie of American exceptionalism. What do you mean by that, Alex? That somehow we're different from other countries. Our country is just as broken, sinful, as corrupt as any country in the world. And if you don't believe in that, then you're worshiping it. You're worshiping her. And just because something's founded on Christian values, don't make it Christian. What makes you Christian is when you bow down to Jesus as your Lord and Savior. That makes you a Christian. Nothing else. If it has not bowed down to Jesus, it is not Christian. It is not Christian until it has surrendered to him as Lord and Savior. So as American Christians, we can overcome whatever our culture throws at us. We can overcome materialism. I ain't getting no more amens. You can overcome nationalism. You can overcome greed, consumerism, white supremacy, abuse, Systematic brokenness, addictions and depression, bad government policies, financial disasters. You can overcome even what people have done to you. You can even overcome the news you receive from the doctor. You can overcome always thinking of yourself as the victim. We, our faith is victory, not victim. And if you're a Christian and you always think of yourself as a victim, then you're not living a victorious Christian life. Is Jesus a victim? No, he's not a victim. Then we are not victims either, no matter what happens to us. We are victorious always. i got come out of the jacket now. We are victorious always. And I love this quote one pastor says. We as Christians, we don't fight and live for victory, but we fight and live from victory. Oh, do you know what that means, beloved? You already have victory, and you fight and live from that because of who your Savior is, because of who your God is. What does it look like to fight and live from victory? What does it look like to presently overcome in this world? This is what it looks like. This is what Paul says. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. We're struck down, but not destroyed. That is what it looks like to presently overcome in this life. It means we don't lose hope despite what we go through, despite what we suffer, despite what we lose, despite what has happened to us and will happen to us. We don't ever lose hope. That's what it means for us. Not in the past, but in the present. You can overcome in the present. And for some of us, the overcoming means you need to go to marriage counseling. That's what it means. You need to go to family counseling. You need to go to addiction counseling. That's what overcoming looks like for some of you. It's to others of you, it means you need to start living on a budget. That's what it means. It means you need to get rid of the Internet because you're addicted to porn. That's what it means. It means you need to start having accountability with other people. It means you may need to be an advocate and a voice for the least of these. That's what it means. It means learning to believe in God despite the reality of your suffering. It means you may need to vote differently next week. That's what it can mean. It means you may need to finally go to the doctor to see why you have that pain in your body. It means taking medication. It may mean you need to start eating differently. Working out, taking a break from social media, Fox News, and CNN. Because sometimes that stuff is just poison. That's what overcoming looks like in real life. It also looks like believing that you will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. You don't have to wait until you die and go to glory to see his goodness. You taste it now. There's always hope for the Christian. And we, people will talk about us because of that. It's, pie, it's not pie in the sky. It is real. Our God is moving. Our God is working. Our God is for us. There's a hymn that says Beams of heaven, as I grow through this wilderness below, guide my feet in peaceful ways. Turn my midnights into days. When in darkness I grope, faith always sees a star of hope. Soon from life's griefs and dangers, I shall be free someday. Harder yet may be to fight. Right may often yield to might. Wickedness a while may reign. Satan calls may seem to gain. But there is a God that rules with a hand of power and a heart of love. And if I'm right... He'll fight my battles. We are right. He will fight. And guess what? He is fighting. Let us pray. Father, thank you that you are a God with a hand of power and a heart of love. And you will fight the battles for your people. And we don't have to beg you to do it. We don't have to plead with you to do it. We don't have to protest for you to do it. We don't have to march for you to do it. You're going to do it because that's who you are. That's who you are as our father, our good, good father. So as we leave this place today and go into and, and, and our communities, to our homes, and to our families, let us leave this place with a, a greater confidence, not in our performance and our obedience and our productivity, but in who you are that you smile upon us even now. You smile upon us when the fall has fallen on us. You smile upon us all the time. And I pray that even in our sufferings and our hardships, help us not to lose sight that you are there with us as our good, good shepherd and our good, good father. That you will never, ever, ever Forsake us forever you are faithful, forever you are strong, forever you are with us. Holy Spirit, help our unbelief. We send hit Christ's holy name I pray. Amen. Will you please stand as we close our service.